Thank you, Brother Terry. It's one of my favorite songs. Thank you so much for sharing that. I like to, you know, I love a worship service. We had a great worship service today, and you know, the choir, the praise team, I, I want to thank them and, and all of you for taking part. Brother Maynard, fine job on that solo, sharing, sharing about our guide and, and us having to, man, we couldn't make it without holding his hand. And so I uh, thank our praise team, our choir, uh, all of you who took part in our worship this morning. You know, each Saturday evening or afternoon or evening, I'll send... Uh, our choir director, Rachel, I'll send her a text along with Brother Terry, our congregational song leader, and along with Brother Kyle Taylor, our praise team leader. I'll send them a text and tell them I'm praying for them, looking forward. Yesterday, I just said, last night, I said, I can hardly wait till our worship time tomorrow. And I love to, I love to worship. You know, uh, Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 13 says this. says, Sing to the Lord. Praise the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the poor from the hand of the evildoers. And then 1 Chronicles chapter 16, I believe it is, 16 verse 23 says this in 24. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations and his wonders among all people. And so it's good to come together. It's good to worship. God wants us to worship. He wants us to worship together. He wants us to worship alone. He wants us to come in for corporate worship and sing together and praise Him together or praise Him and all of us doing that together. Psalm 150, I thought Psalm 150 when I was thinking about, uh, when I'm thinking about psalms and songs and praise. Listen to 150. It says, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty firmament, praise him for his mighty acts, praise him according to his excellent greatness, praise him with the sound of a trumpet, praise him with the lute, the harp, praise him with the timbrel and the dance, praise him with stringed instruments and flutes, and praise him with loud cymbals, and praise him with clashing cymbals, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And so it's good to come together. It's good to come together and worship. God loves our worship. He loves our praise. And when, when we're with each other, it means so much to worship. And then when we're all alone, just like David was alone, perhaps on the Judean hills, watching his flock, taking his harp out and, and praising God just all alone there with those sheep. I think about that at times when I'm worshiping by myself, singing uh, just by myself and praising God. However, as much as God loves to be praised, there's a time when God wants us to put our worship on hold. That's what I want to speak to you about this morning. This morning we want to understand when we're to put our worship on hold. And I'm going to share a message with you. just entitled, Putting My Worship on Hold. And I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 5 for our scripture passage. And we're going to look at verse uh, 20 uh, through 24, I believe. Matthew 5, 20 through 24. Listen to God's word. Matthew 5, beginning with verse 20. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Verse 21, Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in the danger of judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment, and whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council, but whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Verse 23, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar, and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. You know, last Sunday I shared a message on forgiveness, and I made a statement that I may be dealing with that subject next Sunday, which is today, and I have... God has laid it on my heart to continue to preach about forgiveness. And it's so important. Forgiving others is so important because as a believer, um, you know, uh, it's one of the most important subjects for us in the Bible. And uh, reason, uh, look at Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, and I want to share one reason, verse 14 and 15, as we hurry along. Verse 14 and 15 of Matthew 6 for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you of your trespasses. And so Jesus is emphasizing, even in Matthew chapter 5, 20 through 24, and also again in 6, 14 and 15, the importance of forgiveness. So forgiveness is important. It's one of the most important virtues that we have in the Bible. And what Jesus is saying here is that we need to be in the right relationship with each other before we worship him. Now remember that. We need to be in the right relationship with each other before we worship him. And, and I suggest to you this morning that we can have a great worship in music. And we had that this morning. But it won't be acceptable to God if we harbor unforgiveness in our heart. And uh, we can raise our hands in worship, and there's nothing wrong with that. The Bible says to lift up holy hands. We can raise our hands while we worship. We can sway back and forth while we worship. There's nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, it will not be accepted by God. It will be rejected by God if we have unforgiveness in our heart. Now, you can say, well, I'll just worship giving my tithe. And you may just give a lot of money as your part of worship. Well, that is a part of worship. But at the same time, that will not be accepted by God as worship if you have unforgiveness in your heart. You say, well, Brother Sammy, I'll just serve more. Regardless what you do around the church, that won't be accepted by God as your worship if you have unforgiveness in your heart. So the point is our worship will not be acceptable to the Lord if there's anger and resentment and bitterness in our heart towards someone. So this morning Jesus is saying in this passage, Matthew 5, 23, 24, he's saying in this passage, put your, put your worship on hold until you attempt to make things right with each other. And so we have to be careful when we come to God's house to worship that we have a clean heart in regards to our forgiveness and forgiving other people. Now, there are people, fellow believers, who, who come to church and, 
And I don't know, you can just tell it by being around them that they're angry and they're resentful and they're bitter towards certain people. You can stand and talk with them for a while and all that comes out. And, um, you know, you can, you can even see it on their faces. And they come to worship that way. I'm reminded about a little boy I read about years ago who was misbehaving and uh, his mother put him in the closet kindly to uh, discipline and she said, you stay in that closet till you learn how to, to act right and to talk right and behave. And so he's in there and he's still angry and he's angry at his mother now, so he spit on her blouse. And then he split, spit on her dress. Then he spit on her shoes while he's in that closet. So she went to the door and she said, what are you doing in there? He said, well... He said, I'm just waiting for more spit. So he was mad and he was angry. Some people are like that. Some people even go to church. You might say they're just waiting for more spit. They're so mad. They're so angry. They're so resentful. Then they come to church and they worship. And God says, hey, that's not going to be acceptable worship if you have unforgiveness toward anyone. And so is that, is that what you're doing this morning, perhaps? I hope not. Uh, are you just sitting around mad and angry and resentful? And uh, if you are, you just wasted 30 minutes, or almost 40 minutes of worship just a few minutes ago because none of the things you were singing and saying God accepted because of your unforgiving heart. You wasted that time. You'll say, well, Brother Sammy, I'll show you. I'll just stay at home next week. I'll worship at home. Well, the result is worthless worship at home. You say, well, I know what I'll do. I'll just change churches. I'll just go somewhere else. The result of that will be worthless worship. If you leave here and go somewhere else and you don't get that, those feelings straightened out here, that's worthless worship. You'll say, well, I'll just serve more. That's worthless worship. I'll give more. That's worthless worship. And so there's only one way to fix worthless worship. There must be an attempt to reconcile prior to worthy worship. You have to make that attempt. So first of all, if you're taking notes real quick, number one, internal sin requires reconciliation. Internal sin, sin that's on the inside. inside. Uh, in verses 14 through 19, you can read that later, Jesus deals with sins on the outside, breaking the law, uh, living an unrighteous life. He deals with murder. Then in verse 20, excuse me, verse 22, he speaks about the internal sins, anger and bitterness and resentment and hatred. In verse 23, he begins by saying, therefore, therefore, if you have those internal sins, therefore, meaning as long as those, uh, as those internal sins are there, your outward acts of worship are worthless and they're not acceptable to God. So we have to take care of those inward acts of sin uh, inside. The point is internal sin requires attempted reconciliation. Now I use that word attempted because uh, not just reconciliation. You'll go to someone at times and they refuse to be reconciled. But what you want to do is make the attempt to be reconciled with that person. So first, internal sin requires attempted reconciliation. Secondly, God reminds us of our need to be reconciled. This is found in verse 23. It says, when you bring your gift to the altar. Now, I want you to get the picture. When he said, when you bring your gift to the altar, 
This is what the Jew automatically thought about. One day, the Day of Atonement, that Jew would, uh, the worshiper would bring an animal, would bring a sacrifice to the altar. And I believe we have kind of a picture to assimilate that. I have a picture, actually, I believe of that. So this, the Jew would, would carry his animal sacrifice to the altar. Now, when he got to the altar, he couldn't go to the Holy of Holies, but he was met by the priest. And they would come to that court of the priest, and they would stop there, and only the priest could go uh, into the altar area. And so that person then would lay his hands on that animal to identify with that animal, and then he would present that animal to the priest to offer it as a sacrifice. And so Jesus is saying, when you come to the altar, don't hand your offering, your sin sacrifice, to the priest. If you remember that you have something against someone or you feel they have something against you, leave your gift at the altar. Leave your sacrifice at the altar. There was an altar like we have here. But they had an altar to burn in, to burn sacrifices. He says, leave your gift, leave your sacrifice at that altar before, your, before you ask God to forgive you of your sins, before you present your sacrifice, leave it there, and then go and reconcile with that person, and then come back and offer your sacrifice to God for the forgiveness and the cleansing of your sins. And so right at the beginning, you know, of a worship service perhaps, uh, you may have uh, thought, right in the middle of a worship service or toward the end of a worship service. God speaks to you and he reminds you of someone that you need to go to, someone that you need to speak to because your heart's not right in regards to them. You remember something that happened weeks ago, months ago, years ago, and you just can't get it out of your mind. And this is what Christ is saying here. He says, when you go to worship, when you go to worship and and there you remember. Then leave your gift at the altar. Go be reconciled with your brother. Then come and offer your gift. And so he still speaks to us today, speaks to me today. If I, if I feel like someone has ought against me, I need to go. I need to go before I worship. I have to put the worship aside until I make things right. So first, we deal with internal sins. Secondly, God reminds us of our need to attempt to reconcile before we worship. And third, don't worship until you attempt to be reconciled. And so you make that attempt. You attempt to be reconciled. Here's the point. Settle the problem between you and your brother before you begin to try to settle problems between you and God. Make things right between you and your brother. And then make things right between you and God. Listen to Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings and rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or lambs or goats. And down in verse 16, Isaiah 1. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Verse 17, learn to do good. Seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. In verse 18, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they, they shall be as white as snow. And though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. 
And so he says, I'm sick and tired of all your sacrifices with all this unconfessed sin in your life. Put all that away, then come and offer your burnt offerings to me. So you have internal sin requires attempted reconciliation. God reminds us the need to be reconciled. Put your worship on hold until you're reconciled. And then last and finally, what does reconcile mean? What does that word mean? It's a, in the Greek word, it's deleso, and it means to change. It, it literally means to change things. And so Jesus is saying, do what you have to do without compromising the word to right a wrong. Whatever you have to do to right a wrong, you need to go ahead and do that. That's reconciling. And so the point is our relationship with God doesn't let us off the hook when we have hurt someone. Just because you're a Christian and you've hurt someone doesn't mean that you're off the hook because you're a Christian. Being a Christian don't let you off the hook from being obedient to the Lord and what he says in Matthew 5, 23 and 24. So you say, well, Brother Sammy, wait a minute. What about them? What about, what about them? See, the point is, it's about you and your worship. That's the whole point. Uh, uh, do what you can to be reconciled. Do what you can to change things. And then come and worship after you do that. You say, well, Brother Sammy, what if they refuse to reconcile? Two things. Uh, or what if you refuse to reconcile? I'm sorry. One if you say, well, I'm not going to reconcile. I'm not going to go seek that reconciliation. What if I do that? Two things. Number one, I jotted this down. You'll never be able to serve God in sincerity. Regardless of what you're doing for the Lord, it's not going to be sincere unless you take care of that reconciliation attempt. As long as you have someone in your past that you need to call, you need to visit, you need to write, maybe you need to just send a little note, you'll never be able to put your whole heart into serving God with that in your spiritual life. The second thing, if you refuse to attempt to be reconciled, your certainty, well, let me say this, your Christianity will become a ritual instead of a relationship. It'll be a ritual instead of a... It'll be ritual instead of relational if you refuse to reconcile or seek to reconcile. It'll just be a ritual. Coming to church is just a ritual. Won't be accepted, be worthless worship, so it becomes a ritual. I mean, how many people on Sunday morning, they, they go to church, they have the right clothes on, they, have, they say the right words... They have a hearty handshake, but inside they have a guilt of unresolved, unresolved relationships, and they go out, and their worship has been worthless until they take care of that. You say, well, Brother Samuel, what difference will it make if I reconcile? Well, I thought about that, and, and I thought, let's pretend just for a moment. What difference would it make to you if someone had really hurt you and they came up to you and you perhaps have had this to happen. I have too. And they come up and say, I want, to, I want you to forgive me. I, you know, I've had this feeling towards you, and I want you to forgive me. I'm sorry. You may not even be aware of it. And then all of a sudden, you're, you're able to pray with each other. And it's just, there's a healing takes place for that person, for you at the same time. And there's a big change that takes place in a, in a relationship. Can you imagine what it would be like 
if a child hasn't spoke to their parents in years and all of a sudden they call mom and dad and say, look, I'm sorry and I want to come home. You imagine that or vice versa if it was a parent that called a child and said, look, we're sorry, we want you to come home. Or maybe it's an employer who's uh, you know, not treated their employees right. And all of a sudden, they realized that and apologized and asked them to forgive them. And you'd have a whole different company once you started uh, reconciling with the employees and vice versa. Maybe an old friend perhaps stabbed you in the back, you know. And all of a sudden, they come back and say, I'd like for you to forgive me. I'm sorry. And you restore that relationship. Or, or it could even be an ex-spouse. And you get a call or, or make a call and say, look, I'm sorry. It wasn't all you, it's me, and I just want to say I'm sorry for all that happened while we were married. And you can imagine what happened in your life if that were to take place. So for many of us, it would be the beginning of, of healing when that estranged relationship is healed. Here's what we do know. Here's what we do know. It may be difficult to deal with the unpleasant things of the past, but your reward of worthy worship instead of worthless worship is worth it all. Just remember that. Some things you can't change. Some things you can start to change. But Jesus said, listen, make an attempt to reconcile. You know, friend, this morning I got to, I got to thinking about what all God had done for us. and God paid a high price to reconcile reconcile with you, reconcile with me, to change his relationship with us. And uh, I was lost. The Bible says that for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I was a sinner by nature, by choice. I was headed to hell. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death, physical death, spiritual death. But God reconciled you. He reconciled me, you that are believers. He reconciled us to himself. He sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. And I promise you, Jesus came and he didn't say, God, what about them? He didn't say that. He just came and was willing to die on the cross to be reconciled with us. So the big question today is, do you have any grievances against anyone? that would make your worship worthless? Can you just honestly pray the, the, uh, the model prayer? Lord, forgive me my sins as I forgive those who sin against me. Can you honestly say that? Any grievances? So put your worship on hold. Stop fuming and just start forgiving and be reconciled. That's what Jesus says. You know, I... I read this about Dwight L. Moody, and I'm going to close with this. One of his sermons, Dwight L. Moody used a picture of the Lord saying to Peter, Go hunt up the man who put the crown of thorns on my head and tell him that I love him. Tell him that he can have a crown in my kingdom and one without thorns. Find the man who spat in my face and preached the gospel to him and tell him that I forgave him or I forgive him and that, he, that I died to save him. And find the man who thrust the spear into my side and tell him that there's no quicker way to my heart. That's how the Lord Jesus has forgiven us. And now it's our turn. We're to forgive others and make an end of our quarrels. That's Dwight L. Moody. 
Think what all Jesus did for us and what all Jesus went to to be reconciled with us. Surely, surely we can make an attempt to reconcile with other people. You know, revival spirit is just kind of hovering over our land. It's, uh, it's already been in several universities. It's made national news and how the Lord's working in the hearts of a lot of our young people and a lot of our college students. But I'm going to tell you before the revival spirit can ever work in our heart and life, we have to be willing to make an attempt to reconcile with people. That's why Second Chronicles seven fourteen tells us, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, it takes a humble person to go to someone and say, hey, I need to talk to you. I need you to forgive me if I've hurt you, said anything, done anything. It takes a humble person to do that. But he says, if my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sins and I'll heal their land. So forgiveness is going to be a key element in whether we experience revival in our own personal life. And when we do, we'll experience it in the total church as each person just gets a part of it as it comes along. That's how we word a prayer together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for an opportunity we've had to worship you this morning and to open your word and hear about forgiveness. And, and Lord, I pray for each person here. And this morning I pray, Lord, that we'd humble our heart, we'd search our heart. And Father, there may be someone we need to go to, we need to write to, send a note, send a letter, send a card, call on the phone, whatever it means, just let them know that we love them. And we ask them to forgive us if we've said anything or done anything. And then, Father, we can come together in corporate worship or our individual worship, and our worship will not be worthless, but it'll be, it'll be wonderful, wonderful, worthy worship. And so I pray as we enter this place each, each Sunday, each Lord's Day or any time, that we're right with others, where we can be right with you and enjoy a worthy worship time. Speak to hearts today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.